my welcome to you all. I want to invite you to uh, turn to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, and uh, we're going to be giving our attention today to Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Um, It's with some little bit of measure of caution and embarrassment, I guess you might say, that I I confess to you something, that I, I enjoy a particular film genre, and it's what you might call the revenge genre. It's a familiar storyline. Some evil act is perpetrated against an innocent victim, and um, it's usually pretty horrific. Kidnapping, murder, it's committed against someone who's dearly loved, and therefore it's always personal. And as the plot line goes, and you know what I'm talking about, the, the, uh, the criminal justice system on account of ineptness, I suppose, or corruption sometimes, or just some other systemic flaw, fails to make things right. It fails to execute justice. The bottom line is that it fails and falls short of punishing the perpetrator. Now, there's always a protagonist, you know, a hero who steps up and exacts justice where every else has failed. The justice is wrought typically through some commensurate, violent, vengeful retaliation. And there are certain actors that just excel in playing out these things in these movies. Sylvester Stallone, you know, Mark Wahlberg, Liam Neeson. My personal favorite is Denzel Washington. But what makes this genre personally satisfying, I suppose, (laughs) is that making evildoers pay, pay for the pain that they have caused, feels good, right? It, it, It feels like they got what they deserved, even though, even though what they got was evil. And that's the way the world often deals with evil, namely by overcoming wrongdoing through doing wrong. And and, and I think that's probably (laughs) why I feel somewhat conflicted over the joy I experience in these things, like, you know, Denzel's characters whacking bad guys viciously, violently. I I mean, I sort of imagine myself, you know, striding away (laughs) in slow motion as I have satisfied my impulse to retaliate for that stinging remark. Uh, Fiery explosions going off as I get even for that criticism. Hurtful snub valuation. Making them pay for that hurtful snub with a sawed-off shotgun-like hurtful snub. It's in our nature. Right? Our, our, our toddler grandchildren require no education when it comes to inflicting hurt for hurt inflicted. It is an instinctive reaction to repay evil for evil, and it is very much alive in the hearts and minds of God's redeemed. 
And that's why Paul begins Romans chapter 12 with an appeal to every disciple of Jesus. An appeal for ongoing repentance. Be continually being transformed by the renewal of your mind. A living sacrifice lives a life of repentance. So loved ones, we all need an ongoing mindset adjustment when it comes to winning the war on evil. And God communicates that mindset through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. I want to invite you as an expression of our esteem of God's word. Please stand if you're able. And follow along as I read this text. Paul writes, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, saying in another way, from another portion of Scripture, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's God's trustworthy, authoritative word. Let's pray. O Lord, we are utterly dependent on the working of your Holy Spirit now to incline our hearts, to posture our inner being in such a way that we are receptive to what you would say, that we would be accepting and submitting to your authority. We're depending on the work of the Holy Spirit to actually open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see what you want us to see, hear what you want us to hear. Respond to the, the things that you want to communicate to us in order that we are aligned with your good, acceptable, and perfect will and ultimately so that you'd get glory. So please move among us now. Work, we pray, for your name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. So the, the focus of Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, is it's on the response of believers toward those who sin against them. And some commentators are persuaded that Paul has in mind wrongdoings committed against believers by unbelievers. My sense is that since Paul doesn't make that explicit, and since brothers and sisters in Christ sin against 
their brothers and sisters in Christ. That is, they, they commit morally wrongful acts against one another. The claim of this text has to do with a believer's reaction or response to being sinned against by anybody. We live in a world of evil. And in an evil world, evil happens. And in an evil world, evil's aim is to overcome good. In Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the days are evil. That means that every day we see evil things, we experience sinful things, things that are wrong in the eyes of God. We see evil at work, we see evil at school, we see evil in our own homes, our families. We see evil in ourselves. We see things all the time that are dishonoring, displeasing to God. We see it every day. Every hour of the day. The days are evil. And in these evil days, evil things, morally wrong things, sinful things, will more than likely be committed against us at some point or another. And so when you are sinned against, don't be shocked. <laughs> don't be naive. You know, like when that, you know, the, the guy cuts you off and you act like you just saw a three-headed horse. Like, I just can't believe what happened. You know, this happens. Evil happens in the world. And do not be conformed to the mindset of this world. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. Meaning, the mercies of God are meant to produce humility in the people of God. We're saved by his mercy. We're safe under his mercy. We are empowered by his mercy. And we still sin. And therefore, we live by virtue of his mercy. So let that engender an appropriate measure of self-regard. Because at some point or another, you're going to sin against me. Sometime or another, I, though I pray it doesn't happen, I, I will perhaps sin against you. And then what do we do? And Paul's answer is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. Three times he, he commands, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 19, never avenge yourselves. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think one of the, the things that is so remarkable about this text is this radical notion that evil may actually be overcome. 
evil will be overcome. (laughs) The, The diminishing of sin in this world, in all its manifestations, is a realistic end. Don't misunderstand me. Sin in all of its manifestations will not be completely eradicated in this world until Jesus comes. But, loved ones, the kingdom of God is at hand. God's rule and reign have invaded the kingdom of this world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it is advancing. His dominion is extending. And it will continue to advance until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of of our Lord and Christ. And in the meantime, our mission is taking back lost ground. Our mission is advancing God's rule and reign, and that means the savage effects of sin may be, can be, will be diminished. This is a winnable war. Imagine a world. Imagine a world where every sinful act committed against another ended right there. (laughs) Imagine a world where motives were not assumed and attributed before a sinful retaliatory response was committed in return. You know what would happen? Evil would be cut in half. The war on evil is not one through acts of vindictive retaliation, indulging in discord or exacting vengeance. Rather, overcoming evil and sinful wrongs. It begins in our minds. (laughs) Verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought. Think. Give thought. That's another remarkable statement, isn't it? Because retaliation to unjust mistreatment, it's not something that you think about. You just respond. It's an impulse, an overwhelming impulse. It goes, it's just automatic. It flows from an existing mindset. And so Paul's not saying, okay, you know, when somebody wrongs you, when somebody mistreats you unjustly, sinfully, it just, all you got to do is just hit the pause button, think about it for a second. Now, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> in fact, it might be somewhat helpful. But in real time, You know, when we're out in the wild, so to speak, the only way to respond or react rightly in a moment when one is sinned against is to already have a renewed mindset. If you've got to stop and think about it, it's already too late. This way, when when we're provoked, our, our default framework is already aligning with and approving of the will of God. That's been Paul's argument since verse 2. Be transformed, be continually being transformed by the renewal of your mind 
so that by testing, you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, and what's good and acceptable and perfect. So overcoming evil begins with a mindset shift, a mindset by which we give thought. And the kind of mindset that gives thought to and approves the will of God is one renewed by the working of the Holy Spirit. So that when we are sinned against, when someone does us evil, where we overcome that evil by responding from a certain mindset. So we're going to talk about that mindset. I'm going to talk about how we overcome evil. And overcoming evil happens when we are mindful, first of all, that our battle is against sin. The, the enemy is evil. The, the enemy is my sin and your sin. And, and so, what, what's the objective in this battle? How do we know that we're winning this battle? How do we know that we won the battle? Well, we know because evil is overcome. In war, real war, or, you know, human physical war, problems occur when there's, there's no clear objective. The, the Vietnam War was a quagmire because there was no clear objective. Nobody really knew what they were trying to actually get done, <laughs> except kill people. I saw in the news this last week that, that um, what are you going to believe today? Uh, I saw in the news this past week that, that the Russian invasion of the Ukraine is a mess for the Russians. And it's, it's a mess because nobody is really quite sure what Putin is trying to do. What's he doing? They, they fear that it's a stalemate that is an unwinnable war. The reason that the Allies were victorious in World War II is because they had an objective. They knew their objective, and the objective was the absolute unconditional surrender of the Nazis, the Axis. Now, some have drawn the inference from Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, that, that what Paul's doing here is, is he's making a case for and advocating pacifism. I'm not sure that we can say that is his meaning. I'm not sure that's his main point. What Paul is advocating and aiming at is for God's rule and God's reign, and God's dominion, and God's righteousness, and God's glory to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Paul's aim in the book of Romans, this letter to the Romans, is the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among the Jews and the Gentiles and all nations. And the enemy is sin, and the enemy is within us all, and therefore think, think with sober judgment now about yourself because our natural impulse is sinful retaliation when we are sinned against. Our natural impulse is vengeance. Our natural impulse is to return fire automatically. And eventually, 
you will be proverbially or maybe even literally fired upon. Someone is going to sin against you. And so, give thought ahead of time so that when it happens, you might overcome evil and defeat sin rather than be overcome and defeated by sin. Second, overcoming evil happens when we remember that getting even is evil. Sometimes it seems like there's this this fine line between righteous indignation and vindictive retaliation. That's, that's why these vengeance, revenge movies are so energizing, you know? You, um, <laughs> because you know, it, it, it's just so close. According to Paul, seeking revenge, seeking revenge is a moral failure. Verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. There's, I'm always playing catch up, you know, with the vocabulary of the world. Uh, Another term that's been added to our contemporary dictionary is outrage porn. And Outrage porn, according to a New York Times writer, is a cultural appetite fed by click seekers who pander to our impulses to judge and punish. And uh, knowing and understanding our propensity to judge and punish. Tony Reinke, who's a friend of ours, urges us to cautiously think. Cautiously think before you tweet and ask yourselves, Tony writes, has my fault finding made assumptions about another's motives and blinded me to God's grace at work in the person's life and postured me in a self-righteous smugness over him or her? Will my taking this action lead to an open-ended, unresolved public dialogue that will inevitably grow into hostile irreconcilability and retaliation? Has God called me to write, comment, or spread accusations online? Retaliation, I think, is what he's getting at. Why does... does Tony admonished such care in how we respond publicly to perceived evils. It's because the aim of biblical justice is not to get even. The aim is to overcome evil and make things right. The aim is the vindication of the glory of God and His Righteousness, the honor of his name. Read someplace. We live in a time when we can now harm and shame 
and stigmatize and punish people with greater force than ever before in human history. That means the temptation to get even is greater than it's ever been. And in, God's pattern and process for justice seems no longer to be enough. It's just not enough. And, and in such times, we would do well to remember that sinning is losing and overcoming evil with evil is something to be overcome. Here's the third thing. Overcoming evil happens when we remember God's wrath. Or to say it differently, um, overcoming evil happens when we remember that God is God and we're not. Verse 19, Paul writes, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave it. Leave it to the wrath of God. Leave what? Leave due process? Leave the execution of justice? No. Leave the wrath. The wrath to God. Leave the vengeance to God. You see, wrath and vengeance are matters that are just too hot for mere flesh and blood to handle. What we might feel is righteous indignation, can too easily turn into a demonic inroad leading to a root of bitterness. That, that's, that's where this can go. That's why it's best to leave it to God. See, there's a promise in verse 19. All who aim to live by faith in the promises of God would do well to entrust themselves to what has what God has said he will do. And what has he said he will do? I will repay. I will punish every sin. I will either punish that sin in the life and body of the sinner, or I will punish that sin in the life and body of my son, says the Lord. And unlike us, God will make an end to every wrong without sinning. He will make an end to every wrong you have suffered, every sin committed against you, every immoral act by which you have been victimized. He will make all things right, And when the impulse rises within you, I'm going to make you pay. Trust him. When you're tempted with this powerful impulse, it says, I I just cannot trust the system to make things right. That's what always ends up at the end of these revenge movies. There's some guy just 
taking it out on somebody. And, and, and some other soul just comes up and says, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It, it, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. But I can't trust the system to make things right. i got to do it. Can you trust God's system? Can you trust God's promise that he will make things right? He is a God of his word. Trust the promise that he is guaranteed with the very blood of his very own dearly loved son. Fourthly, overcoming evil happens when we remember to do what we can. There are things we, do, we can do. And again, Paul's not advocating unconditional non-retaliation. He's not advocating passivity. Paul's not advocating letting immoral abusers and bullies and terrorists run us over while we just, let's just wait for judgment day, wait for God. No. no, verse 17 says, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Verse 19. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21. Overcome evil with good. Those are all things that we do. Insofar as we can do them. You know, there have been Christians who have, been, who have experienced just horrific losses They've been robbed, they've been assaulted, they've been severely injured by the actions of criminal, criminals or, or, or the negligence of drunk drivers or have been abused by a neighbor or a relative or a coach or a pastor. And, and they believe that their only right recourse was do you shut up and forgive the person and never seek for the wrongdoer to be punished? That is, that's not the solution that Paul gives. He doesn't say, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Just forgive everyone who's done wrong to you. What he says is to give up any desire for revenge that we might execute and instead take the appropriate action. And in the context here, the appropriate action seems to be to give it over to the civil authorities. That's what Paul addresses next in Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, 4, the reason that we give it to the civil authorities Authorities is because he, that is the civil authority, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he, that is the civil authority, is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's a course of action. Something that we can do. Now, is peace... Full restoration possible with every person who's ever sinned against you? No. Verse 18 says, if possible. If possible. 
so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. You know, we can't control how others are going to respond to our attempts to live peaceably. We can't control how others will respond to our attempts to make right the wrongs we have done. Peace with all people is not possible in every situation. There are times, there are situations when reconciliation is not possible because the other person refuses. You may wish to be at peace with those who have wronged you. They may not wish to be at peace with you. You may wish to be at peace with the person you have wronged, but they may not wish to be at peace with you. And further, one cannot violate the truth of the gospel and devotion to Christ's authority in order to make peace with people who refuse the truth of God's will and God's word. But, but, insofar as God and His grace permits, God's activity permits God's working in another person's life permits we do what under God and His providence we can do. Last month I was, um, I, I had a national church planting group meetings in um, Charleston, South Carolina. I, I'd never been to Charleston. It is a, it's a beautiful city. Um, history of the city is Amazing. It's a revolutionary war city. It's a civil war city for its sumters just off the coast. Um, and on a, and on a very terribly sad historical note, Charleston was the center and singular entry point into the United States for the trafficking and trading and transfer of slaves. It's a, you know, it's, it's a city that, that understands the realities of racial tensions, Un incomprehensible evils were committed against human beings in the public square, on side streets, in industrial warehouses. In more recent history, it was June 2015, Nine African Americans, including Pastor Clementa Pinckney, were gathered at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church on a Wednesday night for a Bible study. And a man entered that Bible study who later was learned that he was a self-professing white supremacist by the name of Dylan Roof. He joined the circle while they were singing. And then, while the church members opened their Bibles, Roof opened his bag and took out his firearms and proceeded to shoot and kill all nine all nine people in attendance. And... Um, We went there, and uh, it was a it was moving experience. It stunned a community, um, and it, it rocked our country. If you remember that, 
set off a variety of impassioned responses from rage and retaliation to remorse and corporate repentance. Um, but according to uh, my friend, fellow Sovereign Grace Pastor Mike Seaver, who, who serves in that city, he lives right in, he lives in ministers right there, Ground Zero, one of the most racially tense communities in America. The, the response that rocked Charleston the response that rocked Charleston happened when, during the bond hearing, the family members of the murdered victims told Roof that they forgave him. Now, you know, there, there's all kinds of, that's loaded up, right? You know, all kinds of details and nuance in that situation. We'll probably never know and fully understand. But... I think this is the point. Instead of an entire city being overcome by evil, it was the disposition of a handful of church members who overcame evil with good. Which should remind us, fifthly, finally, that overcoming evil happens when we remember the mercy that we've been shown. When we remember the gospel, whenever we are sinned against, give thought. Give thought to the truth that in Christ Jesus, you are loved by God. Verse 19 says it all in one word. Beloved. Loved ones, um, you know why I often address you that way, loved ones? Of course, I want you to know that you are the object of my affection. But even more, I, I don't want you to ever, ever forget that in Christ Jesus, joined to Jesus by faith, you are God's loved ones, loved by God. And when we sin against our Heavenly Father, knowingly, willfully, high-handedly, when we disregard His wisdom, disobey His commands, when we exchange the living water that He so graciously offers us, we exchange that for evil. In Christ Jesus, our Heavenly Father does not repay us with evil for the evil that we have done. When we scorn His glory and we treasure vain things over His majesty, in the life and death of Jesus, our Heavenly Father upholds what is most honorable in the sight of all. Himself. Insofar as it depends on Him, in Christ, our Father has done everything that can and must be done to live peaceably with us. He's done it all. There are no limits. 
And rather than pouring out on us the wrath that we deserved, our Heavenly Father poured out His just and righteous wrath against our sins on Jesus at the cross. Jesus paid the penalty and endured God's wrath for our sins. Jesus paid it all. And now instead of enmity, instead of distance, instead of hostility, instead of coldness, instead of you know, marginalization, in Christ Jesus, our Heavenly Father supplies us with all that we need generously, lavishly to do His will and advance His rule and reign and to diminish every manifestation of evil until the earth is as full of the beauty of His glory as the waters fill up the seas. And so when you're sinned against and mocked and mistreated, when you're bullied and belittled, shamed, publicly vilified for doing something that you thought was good, attributed with motives that you wouldn't even have considered, never went through your mind. You're charged with wrongs that you've never done, slandered by spiritual leaders or betrayed by someone you trusted or abandoned by those you believed were your friends. When all that happens, give thought Give thought to God who has endured all that from us and yet in Christ calls us beloved. Give thought to how he has overcome all our evil with the goodness of his mercy and grace. Let's pray. Lord, there's a mindset, there's a framework, there is a governing impulse. Something needs to be made new within us. Or we respond just like everybody else. So we're praying, Lord, today that you would make us new. We're praying that you would take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Praying that you'd make us tender-hearted with sober judgment of ourselves and the powerful effects of sin, remaining sin, even in the life of a justified believer. Praying that, Lord, you would shape us. That's what we do every week, Lord, when we gather. We're here to be shaped by your word. We meet together in missional communities and discipleship huddles to be further shaped by your word. By the working of your Holy Spirit. And so, do that shaping. 
do that working in our mindset and do it every day that we might be a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable, Lord, unto you, which is our spiritual, reasonable act of worship. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.